Chapter thirty two of Paul the Dauntless. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Leeson. Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews. Chapter thirty two. The Typhoon. Leaning on the ship's rail as the sun set over the sea, after they left the Caesarea harbor, Paul took his last look on Mount Carmel that lifted its strong outline into the clouds. But later, night having fallen, only the men on the midnight watch would see the torches of Tyre as the ship sailed on its way northward. The next day, however, the vessel sailed into the harbor at Sidon, where she found ships of as many nations as those she had left at Caesarea. The cleverest sailors on the coast were at Sidon, where the sound of the shipwright's mallet and all the hurly-burly of a busy port struck on Paul's ear as the ship cast anchor. He told the centurion that he had friends in Sidon, for he had been there twice before with Barnabas, and again and again afterward. Julius had already come under the spell of Paul and said that he might go ashore, prisoner though he was. So he went with that eagerness which always came on Paul at the opportunity of seeing good friends. When the time came for going aboard again and sailing from Sidon, the wind had stiffened from the west. The ship was bound northwest for Myra on the coast of Lycia, right across Cyprus, which lay in her track. But she could not sail south of Cyprus in the teeth of the wind with her one large mainsail. She made north, therefore, with the wind on her port beam, so getting under the lee of the island. As he passed Cyprus, Paul might see Salamis and remember the far-off voyage twelve years before, when he with Barnabas first came in sight of the port on their first venture as missionaries. Between that day and this he had sailed, ridden, and trudged his thousands of miles over highland and lowland, sea and river, drenched with rain and snow, and scorched by the sun, beaten and stoned, imprisoned and robbed, he had yet never turned back from his great adventure. The ship sailed past Salamis, with its swordfish headland, still northward, searching for the calmer coast winds of the Cilician and Pamphylian sea. So Paul came within sight of the plain where he was born, and the great mountain range which he had gazed at as a boy from the roof of his father's house. It was his last look at his homeland, for the ship's nose was now turned west. The winds had, as the captain had expected, become quieter and milder under the coast. It was slow work, however, tacking to and fro to take advantage of the light offshore breezes, but at last they came in sight of the hilly coast of Lycia, and sailed into the strange great harbor of Myra, which lay in front of the beautiful gorge that led up into the hills. Julius the centurion looked eagerly and anxiously at the ships that lay in the port. His face lighted as he saw a ship whose rig and cut told him at once that she hailed from the Egyptian coast. He found, true enough, that she had been driven north from Egypt to Myra and was bound for Italy. She was one of the fleet of wheat ships which sailed for Alexandria to Puteoli, carrying food for the city of Rome. Julius gave the order for his soldiers and prisoners to change ships. They climbed on to the wheat ship, which already had many people aboard. They loosed from Myra and tried to bear up to Snidus, farther west on the same coast. But the winds struck obstinately against them. Tack and turn as she would, the ship hardly made progress. She had worked windward for many days before she made Snidus, which was only a day's good sailing from Myra. 
If sailing was difficult here, it would be worse ahead, for, from this point, the protecting coast left them. The captain of the ship turned her course south to get under the lee of Crete, in the hope of finding more favorable winds. So it proved, for when they swung round the bold headland of Salmone, they ran into calmer water and soon fetched the harbor of Fair Havens. The Mediterranean Sea is not safe for sailing ships from November to March 5, and always they thought of the sea as closed during that time. The ship in which Paul was traveling had made such a slow voyage that now she had no hope of getting to Italy before the winter gales started. They were bound to stop. Paul, born as he was at a great port and with all his experiences of sailing, knew the great sea in all its moods. He spoke to the centurion, the master, and the owner, saying, I can see that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the cargo and the ship, but to the lives of us on board. But they thought that the harbor of Phoenice, further west along the Cretan coast, was a better harbor for wintering in, and it was distant only a few hours' sailing. They therefore overruled Paul and sailed. A soft south wind, with the warmth of the sands of Egypt in it, moved on the face of the waters as the ship put out from Fair Havens. With her bows gently cleaving the coast waters and the breeze on her starboard beam, she must have given all on board the feeling that Paul's alarm had been needless. Hugging the coast, she soon swung round Cape Matala, and giving more to the wind, slid northwestward toward Venice. Away to the right they saw Mount Ida lifting her peak into the sky on the north coast. In a few hours they would be in the harbor, where they would lie for the winter. But a sharp man on the lookout would have seen, over Mount Ida, ugly weather brewing. Without warning, like a treacherous blow from a smiling friend, the wind curved from the south in a circle, and swept back from the north like a wheeling eagle striking his prey. The gale smote the boat till she reeled and wrenched at her sails, threatening to tear the mighty mainmast from its roots in the ship. Over them the clouds whirled in the typhoon. The white spray, lashed up from the sea under the tormenting whip of the storm, swept her deck. The little boat which was being towed behind, for it had hardly seemed worthwhile swinging her aboard for the short run from Fair Havens to Phoenice, tossed like a cork on a thread from crest to crest of the swiftly whitening waves. The seamen climbed the rigging to the great yard and furled the sail. All attempt to bear up against the wind was impossible, and, at a command from the captain, the men at the rudder sweeps let her drive. Like a horse loosened from its halter she tore across the green fields of the sea, while the white-backed sea-hounds leapt and bayed at her sides. As the toppling mainmast reeled dizzily and groaned under the tear and wrench of the typhoon, the ship shivered in every beam, her timbers began to start under the terrible leverage of the mast, and a seaman going below decks into the hold would hear the sound that grips a sailor's heart with a chill hand, the suck and splash of water in a leaking hull. End of chapter 32